Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Any day now. Come on! Come on! Hey, good morning, ACF. How are you guys doing today? Man, I am excited to be up here. Um, And we have been in a series really since January 1, New Year's Day, we kicked off this series called Pace Yourself. And if you're a guest of ours today, we just want to say we are so glad that you are here with us today. We just feel honored that you would take some time out of your Sunday morning to come and to hang out with us. But we've been on this journey, on this series called Pace Yourself, and we've been talking about really how the reality is we kind of live this pace in our life that is somewhat unsustainable. It's not healthy. And I don't, I don't think that's a big secret. I think we all realize like, man, I am just going too fast, too hard. Every conversation I have with someone like, hey, how's life right now? Busy, right? Like, oh, it's so busy right now. We're just, we're getting into our busy season right now. We just got out of our busy season and getting ready for the next busy season, right? It's just everything is busy and fast paced and our phones are faster and our internet has to be faster and work has to be faster and, and life is just going at this unhealthy pace. And so we've been talking about this since January 1st and, and it's been really cool because the response from you guys has been amazing. You guys have been emailing us and talking to us and letting us know what God is doing in your life. And, and it's been such a big deal that we actually decided to extend the series. It was just supposed to be a four-week series, and we said, we can't stop right now. Like, God is doing some stuff, and so let's just continue talking about that. And so we've gone another three weeks with it, and, and today we're, we're, we're going to wrap it up. But it's just been so encouraging to be a part of it. And, and before we move on, I do want to say <clears throat> this. Well, first of all, I want to say, if you've missed any of the weeks... I want to encourage you, go back to our website, get our app, and and watch or listen to the the series. And what we've been talking about are just disciplines that we need to have in our life. Disciplines that God has given us for us, honestly, just to enjoy life more. Um, But if you have been working on some disciplines in your life, like I know I have been, I've been challenged every week, and I've been trying to implement these things in, in in my life, and perhaps you're like me, and, and maybe you've tried to implement some disciplines, and probably you failed at them. Can we be honest right now, right? Like the other day, I was like coming up to a stop sign, and I look, and there's like no cars anywhere, and I like rolled on through, and I was like, darn it, why? I forgot I was going to stop every single time, right? Like it's hard. It's hard to really make life change. Let's be honest about that. And so I want to encourage you in this way. If you like, man, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try to keep a Sabbath, or I'm going to try to slow down, or I'm going to try to simplify, whatever it may have been, and you failed at it, try it again. 
I want to encourage you, get back up and do it again. In fact, I would say this. Pick one or two disciplines at max and work on implementing those in your life this next year. Right? We can't hurry through slowing down. Right? It's like, okay, I got this new discipline. Got to have it locked in by the end of February and I'll be good. That doesn't work that way. That's the very opposite of what we're talking about here. But just to take one or two things and, and start making them real rhythms of your lives, real patterns of your life. Not just something you do because I'm trying to work this out, but something that you've really become. I've become a person of simplicity. I've become a person who Sabbaths and enjoys God. And so give yourself some grace, I want to say, and continue to work through these things. Don't give up. And don't try to do everything today, right? Like just pick one or two things to do. But as we wrap up the series... We're going to talk about this last discipline in our lives that needs to be implemented because um, it's so important. And it's, it's, it's the most fun of all the disciplines, I would say. It's the discipline of confession, right? Like who gets excited of, about confession? Like, yes, I just signed me up to go tell everybody my junk. That sounds like a good day, right? Sounds like a fun weekend. Um, no, it's dis- or a confession is not something we typically get really excited about. And, and everybody may have different experiences with that. Maybe if you come from a Catholic background, you, you, you understand a little more, maybe walked into a rhythm of it before, more than someone with a Protestant background. But whatever it is, discipline, or uh, I'm sorry, confession is not something that's extremely fun to think about or to practice or to do. But I want to take a look today at, at, at what what confession is and what it looks like and how it has an important, important role on our lives. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 32. And we're going to read verses 1 through 5. And, and what this is, is this is David, King David. He's talking and he's kind of describing his life before confession and then after confession. So let's take a look at what David talks about here. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me and my strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Selah. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Now, just a side note, if you've never kind of heard that term Selah before, why is it in there? Why do we say it? It's in there. The psalmist's uh, would put that in there because it's, it's a, a marking. It's to tell the reader to stop and think about what you just read. Stop and ponder it. It's literally like our entire series, like slow down. Don't just go to the next passage. Meditate, ponder what you just read. Now, I think if we're all honest in this room, I don't think it's a far-fetched thing to say that probably most of us in here have some junk in our past that still haunts us to this day. I think we, we'd say, yeah, there's some stuff back there that I'm not real proud of, um, that I kind of like tried to forget about. It's there, uh, but, um, you know, it, it, from time to time it rears its ugly head, and I'm, I'm not super proud of it. And, 
And I think most of us would say, yeah, there's some stuff in our past that haunts us. Whether that past was 20 years ago or that past was on the way to church this morning, right? Like, there can be some things in our past that haunts us. And the truth is, that doesn't matter if you're a follower of Jesus or not. You may be in this room and you've, you've never said yes to Jesus, never acknowledged him, and that's okay. We're super glad you're here, but that doesn't change the fact that you probably have some stuff in your past that you're not real proud of. And if you've said yes to Jesus, there's still some stuff probably in your past that you're not real proud of. When we say yes to Jesus, we still battle and we still wrestle with sin in our lives. And in this passage that we read in Psalms, um, David had some junk in his life. Right? Like, David, he had some issues. Let's, I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, if you don't know who David was, I'm not going to take time to dive into his story, but what you need to know is David was like the rock star of Israel. He was Israel's greatest king. He was like Israel's greatest champion. Like, everybody just loved David. And, and Scripture even tells us, like, David has this incredible relationship with God. Scripture says that David was the man after God's own heart. Now, to have that written about you is pretty amazing. And yet, there's, this, there's a couple stories about David that we see in Scripture. And if you don't know him, I'm going to give you, like, the cliff notes to the cliff notes. All right, this is going to be real quick. But there's this story that David, uh, about David's life, and it basically goes like this. David has an affair. He gets the woman pregnant. He murders her husband. Okay? Like, there you go. That is the cliff notes to the cliff notes. Sounds like a stellar guy, right? Sounds like someone you want to model your life after. And so David has this huge thing in his life. In fact, funny story, I saw a meme like this week, I think, on Facebook, and it said something along the lines like, if you have a, a, if God puts a Goliath in your way, then that means he knows that there's a David inside of you. I'm like, great. There's a, an adulterous murder inside of you. Okay, cool. Good to know. Good to know. But that's who David is, right? And, and David goes through this process of like trying to cover that sin up and hide it, and he doesn't tell anyone. And, 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 and so he like, he, he, he murders this woman's husband and then marries her, and it's like, oh, we got pregnant on the honeymoon. What do you know? You know, jocker, like, darn, right? Like, that's, that's the story of David. And, and, and so he goes through this process of, like, trying to hide and conceal this sin, this guilt in his life. And, and the truth of the matter is we still do this today, right? Like, how do we deal with guilt in our lives? What do we do when we really mess up bad? I think many times what we do is we try to cover it. We try to hide it. And, and David does this, and we even see this going all the way back to the beginning of time, going back to the beginning of humanity. We read in Genesis this story of Adam and Eve, who are the first humans to ever live, and God gives them this command to not do something, and they end up doing it. Right? He says, don't eat of this fruit, and they do. And then what they realize is that all of a sudden they have shame. Like they, they lived and they moved and they breathed and they operated and they were completely naked, the Bible says. And I think it makes a point to say that is to show that they had no shame about them. And then all of a sudden they, they, they sin and the first thing they do is try to cover themselves. Their very first act is try to cover up the shame. And then God shows up on the scene and he shows up to kind of hang out with Adam and Eve and he's like, Adam, where are you? And the next move is not just to cover their shame but to hide from God. They continue to try to cover it up. And, and Adam's like, oh, no. And God's like, Adam, where are you? And he's like, uh, we're over, over here. Uh, <clears throat> over here, God. Like, 
what's up? And God's like, why are you covered up? Uh, we were naked. I mean, why are we covered up? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you had shame? And all of a sudden, it goes into throw everybody under the bus mode. Maybe you've been there before, right? Adam's like, well, see God, it wasn't my fault. It was the woman. Her fault. Smooth, smooth Adam. Hey, thank you an amen. No, don't amen that. Stop. Adam's like, yeah, her fault, God. And then Adam takes it a step further. I mean, he's like, actually, God, if we want to get technical, it's your fault because you gave me the woman. You made her. So, yeah, like bold move, Adam. Bold move. And then Eve, you know, she's like, well, it was my fault. I was tricked. Right? And immediately what happens is the cover game happens. Everyone's trying to blame everyone else, and no one wants to own their sin. And they just try to cover it up, and it doesn't work. And ever since then, humanity has been trying to deal with their guilt, deal with their junk by covering it up. What does that look like? How do we try to cover up our guilt? I think one of the ways we try to do it is we try to do just enough good deeds to cover it up. Like, here's my guilt. If I keep piling on good deeds, eventually it'll be covered and you won't see it anymore. Now, it's still there, but you won't see it. And that is the answer for every major world religion in, in the world. Their answer is just do enough good deeds. Cover up the guilt. There's not really an answer to get it removed. We just cover it. And hopefully, when you stand before God one day, you've done enough good deeds to outweigh the bad deeds, but you won't really know until you stand before God. Like that's, that's not an answer. Like That's a covering, but that's, that doesn't remove anything. I think another way we typically try to deal with guilt in our lives, deal with that past, deal with that thing, deal with sin in our lives, is we just try to forget about it. We try to silence it. We try to like silence it away. Like if I can't think about it, it's not really there, right? And I think we do this through a lot of different ways. Like we try to drink it away. Like if I can just drink enough, if I kind of stay buzzed enough, or I know like at the end of the day I can get a good drink and just kind of go home and not really focus and think about this thing, I'll feel better about myself. We try to work out it away, right? Like I just commit myself to the gym. I'm always moving. I'm always working out. I'm always like exercising. I can kind of just make this thing be forgotten, right? We try to relationship it away, adventure it away, laugh it away, like just keep humor in front of me and I feel better about myself. We try to hard work it away or entertain it away. Like, man, if I can just keep binging stuff on the TV, I don't have to think about this thing in my past. But oftentimes where that leaves us is where David was left when he says, I feel as if my bones are wasting away, right? My, my energy is evaporated as if I was in the heat of the summer. And maybe you've been there before where you're just carrying something and you're sick to your stomach and it's just, it takes away your energy. You feel like David says. So how do we overcome our guilt? If, if, if covering it is not the answer, how do we overcome our guilt? Well, what David says in, in, in verse five here, he says, look, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, to deal with that guilt, to deal with that shame in our lives, to deal with that sin, it comes through confession. 
And this is what David understands and what he recognizes. And so the question is, well, really, what is confession? What does that mean? Well, I love kind of what David says, real simply. He says, I acknowledged and I did not cover. I acknowledged and I did not cover. I acknowledged this sin in my life and I stopped trying to cover it up. I exposed it. I became transparent. Confession is simply the uncovering of our sins. That thing that we've worked so hard to cover up, we go, you know what, I'm done. I'm done trying to cover it up. I'm going to uncover it. And that's what confession is. So how does that work? What, is, what do we have to do for confession? Well, I think for confession, to uncover it, I think we have to uncover it to two different groups here for it to be a real, true confession. The first one is God. We must confess it to God. We must speak it to God. And that's what David says at the beginning of the, uh, the verse. Like, I confessed it to you, God. We got to own our stuff to God. We got to own our sins. Not like Adam and Eve just trying to shift the blame around. It wasn't me. It was her. It wasn't, it wasn't me. It was the serpent, right? Like, instead of doing that, to own what we've done. To own our sin. To own our guilt before God and confess it to him. Saying, God, I acknowledge before you that this, this is what I've done and this is even who I am. And then the second one is this, it's speak it to others. Speak it to others. Now, in, 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 verse, or in, in, in chapter 32, we don't see David confessing his sin to other people, but if you follow the story of David, we do. He does confess it uh, to, prophet, to the prophet Nathan, and so um, he, he actually walks through confessing to God and confessing to other people. See, and, and when I say other people, I mean like trusted people, not like just anybody and everybody. It's not necessarily public confession to everybody, right? Like we're not going to like lock the doors, pass the wireless mic around and go, hey, no one's leaving until everyone shares your deepest, darkest secret, right? Like that wouldn't be good for anybody. Like let's just be honest. That would be more damaging and unhealthy than healthy. Like that's not what confession to others looks like. Confession to others is trusted people who are going to be in it with you, who are going to be in that fight with you, who are going to encourage you, who are going to walk with you, who are going to challenge you when you need to be challenged. But to confess it to others is super important. In fact, James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. See, James chapter 5 is all about this idea of, 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 of healing but, and then confession too. And James ties these two things together. That even within physical healing, there's an element of confession that needs to happen. Because how many guys know that when we keep these things inside of us, it can physically make us feel sick. It can actually physically make us sick when we try to cover and conceal the, the, the junk in our lives. And James is tying together that there's a healing, and, and not just a physical healing, but a spiritual healing too, when we confess our sins to one another, that there's actual freedom in that. See, for true confession, I really do believe you need both. You need to have both. You, see, confession just to God and not to another person, not to other people, what that does is that leaves you with no earthly accountability. It leaves you with no earthly accountability. Like, it just reminds me of me in high school. Like, I would, like, do something, and I'd screw up. Maybe it was on the weekend, doing something stupid with my friends or something, and I'm, like, sitting in, like, history, and I'm all of a sudden, like, feeling real guilty about it, and then I'm, like, walking to English. I'm like, oh, God, forgive me. Thanks. Off to English, right? Like, no real accountability, no real change. God, help me never do this again, 
right? What a prayer that is. Help me never do this again, God. Anybody ever prayed that and it worked? Like, um, no, because we need accountability. We need to actually walk through this life with people helping us, challenging us. And so prayer, confession to God without confessing to another person is, leaves you with no accountability. But confessing to another person without confessing to God, that happens, I think, a lot also, um, it's, it's, we, we like to confess to each other. In other words, what I like to call it is venting, right? You ever had like a venting session? You ever been like, oh, man, let me tell you. I got I to gotta unload on you right now. It was a rough weekend, right? And, and we kind of vent out our issues to each other, or even to counselors or therapists. And, and, and venting is and like talking it out is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. It's not bad. But venting is almost like, like letting off steam, right? Like, I need to let off some steam. I got to vent to you. Um, otherwise, I'm going to go to jail on Monday when I get around my coworkers. Like, I got I to gotta release this, right? We've released the pressure inside of us. And I was thinking about it and it just reminded me, like, like it's kind of like your hot water tank in your garage, like it has this pressure release valve. And if the pressure builds up really high in it, it will release the pressure. But if that has ever happened, your hot water tank is not fixed, right? There's a systemic problem with your tank that needs to be fixed. And if it's not, you're going to have some problems. Now, it's safe because it like released the pressure, but you still need to fix it. And if we're always just venting out our issues, but nothing's being dealt with, we're just releasing the pressure, but the systemic problem is not being fixed inside of us. And, and with, without God, and that's all you have. It's interesting, without God, you don't actually have a way to deal with the junk. You just kind of have a way to release the pressure of it, but it doesn't deal with the issue. See, what is confession. What is it doing to us? What is it doing in our lives? Well, one thing I believe that confession is the, it's the active component of engaging your faith. It's not the only active component, but it's a major active component in engaging your faith when you walk out confession. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, as Christians, we say things like, we believe that God forgives. We believe that we're all sinners and that everyone falls short of the glory of God. We say that, but then when it comes to confessing our own sin, we're like, ah, no, never mind. Like, yes, God forgives your sins, but I'm not all the way sure he's going to forgive all of mine. Yes, we're all sinners, but like, ah, kind of there's like this hierarchy of sin, and maybe mine's worse than yours, maybe yours is worse than mine, and we start not living out what our faith says that we actually believe. And, and to confess your sin, it engages your faith. It turns it into some sort of theory of the Bible, some sort of theology into reality in your life, and you have to live it out. See, confession, for the Christian, confession of sin is the application of the gospel to your life, to your own life. It's the application of the gospel. In other words, we believe that Jesus came to this earth and he, he lived a perfect life. He died for the sins of humanity willingly, and then defeated sin and death by raising again from the dead. And, and we believe this good news, we believe the gospel, but oftentimes when we say yes to Jesus, I think we're kind of done with it, and we go, okay, now it's for everybody else, i got to tell everybody else about the gospel, but we need to continue to apply the gospel to our lives each and every day, to walk in that grace. See, that death and that resurrection, it was on, on no way to have anything to do with us, and we just can only receive it. But when we confess our sins, that is 
the actual steps and application of applying it to our lives. Confession, another thing confession does is it kills our pride. Like, it is really hard to be prideful when you're, like, confessing your sins to someone else, confessing your, your guilt. You're like, man, can I tell you how awesome I am? This is what I did. And your buddy's like, you are not awesome, right? Like, that's terrible. And it, it tears down our pride. And that's a good thing. I think so often we spend our lives trying to build ourselves up, trying to make ourselves look awesome. Like Instagram, we never post like terrible days. We never post like how awful it can be at times. It's always just how awesome it is. Like I'm on the beach in Hawaii, look how awesome it is, right? Like it's, it's here. I've just seen a lot of Hawaii pictures lately. But, uh, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that, but we spend our time trying to build ourselves up, right? We try to do it at work. We build ourselves up, look awesome for my boss, look better than my, uh, you know, coworkers. Maybe it's even with the family. It's like, oh man, I got these, this mother-in-law or this father-in-law or these brothers-in-laws or sister-in-laws. And like there's always this competition of looking better, making more money, being better than them. Right? Maybe it's just sibling rivalry, right? Like just trying to be better than, look better than. And we spend our lives doing that. And Jesus is like, no, no. No, in my kingdom, the first will be the last. And the last will be the first. In fact, when you go to a dinner table, like take a seat at the end of the table. Put yourself in front of nobody. And when you confess sins to people, man, that just tears that image down. And that is such a beautiful thing to not have to live up to the own image that we build of ourselves, the false image that's not even real anyways. And so confessing your sins, it, it kills our pride. And, and also confessing our sins shows others around us that we are not better than them, right? Confessing your sins shows other people around you that like you're not better than anybody and I'm not better than anybody, and we are not better than anybody, that we are all sinners in need of grace. And that's such a level playing field. That, that's so good to know that, that I don't have to act and just be better, right? And it takes pressure off of yourself. Man, I just, in my own life, just the life of a pastor sometimes is you hear that, like, oh, I wish I could be like you. And I'm like, no, you really don't. You really don't, because we are the same. We are both sinners in desperate need of grace. And confession reminds the people around you of that truth. See, confession is really hard, and it's really scary, and it's really difficult. But the truth is, what is on the other side of confession? What's on the other side of that thing when you walk through it? I love Psalm 32 and verse 11. See, Psalm 32, the first half of that chapter is David talking to God. But then the second half of the chapter is God responding to David. And this is what God says to David. He says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David, again, reminder, had an affair, got the woman pregnant, murdered her husband. And then God responds after confession with rejoice, you are righteous, shout for joy, you are upright in heart. That is what grace is. You see, here's the kicker. Here's what it's all about. It is by not covering your sins, your sins are covered. By not covering your sins, your sins are covered. David's sins, when he was trying to cover them, they were not covered by God. 
And then he reveals, he exposes them, he confesses them to God, and now they are covered by God. Now they are actually dealt with. All the covering in the world we try to do with our guilt and with our junk and with our shame, it doesn't ever make it go away. It can relieve pressure for a moment. We can feel better for a moment. But at the end of the day, it's still there. And the only way that it actually gets dealt with is when it's covered by God. But he can't cover it if we continue to try to cover it. So by uncovering our sin, it gets covered by God. There's a, uh, in, in, in the 40s, uh, 1940s, there was a, a, a great theologian, pastor, activist um, named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, he was, you know, he's this great pastor. He was on this team to try to assassinate Hitler, you know, small things in life. But uh, crazy story, crazy life, but an amazing writer. And, and this, is what, uh, this is what Bonhoeffer says about confession. This is so powerful. Listen to this. He says, in confession, the breakthrough to community takes place. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive the power of sin over him, and the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns the light. In the darkness of the unexpressed, it poisons the whole being of a person. This can happen even in the midst of a pious community. In confession, the light of the gospel, the light of the gospel, breaks into the darkness and the seclusion of the heart. The sin must be brought into the light. The unexpressed must be openly spoken and acknowledged. All that is secret and hidden must be made manifest. It is a hard struggle until the sin is openly admitted. And then he quotes Psalms 107. But God breaks the gate of brass and the bars of iron. See, what confession does is it brings us back into community. See, there's, there's, there's three things I believe that confession does for us. The first one is it brings us into companionship. It brings us into companionship. When you walk through confession with somebody, there is a bond there that is created that goes deeper than most other friendships are even possible to go because there's an openness and a transparency. And, and that person gets to see really the real you. And they get to walk with you. And they get to challenge you and encourage you. There's a companionship there that can't really be found anywhere else. On the other side of confession is companionship. The other thing is on the other side of confession is community. Community is such an important piece of a believer's life. I believe it's just such an important part of anybody's life, whether you follow Jesus or not. Like humanity was made to be in community. We thrive in community. And we begin to wither away without it. See, community is such an important part. And, and, and what sin does, what guilt does, is it makes us want to cut away from community. It drives us to isolation. And what confession does is it brings you right back into the heart of community. So often when we screw up, when we mess up, the last thing we want to do, right, is come to church. It's like, no, i got to wait until I feel better about myself to go there. That's literally the exact opposite of what you should do. Right, but that's just where we get to in our minds. That's what we get to in our spirits. Like, I don't want to talk to God. I don't want to go to church. I need to feel better about who I am first before I can go around all those holy people. Right? The other thing that comes 
with confession is communion. Communion with God. It, it brings you into right relationship with God. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is what grace is, right? And fair. I'm murdered and I'm cleansed, right? But only through confession. That is what's waiting on the other side of what is a very difficult thing to walk through and a very scary thing to walk through. To, to find the right person to walk that journey with you it is hard, but it's so important for us. Bonhoeffer says that confession is discipleship. Confession is discipleship. Like the life of the disciple is a life of acknowledging your sin and confessing it. Acknowledging your sin and confessing it, applying the gospel to your life. See, ACF, what it, would it look like if we became a church that was a church that was transparent? A church where we collectively as a whole did not work so hard on building our image and hiding our junk, but we worked so hard on being open and honest and confessing our sins to one another, praying for one another. What would that look like, first of all, to this community, just here in this room? What a healthy, open, beautiful community to be a part of. And then outside of these walls, what would it look like to the, the greater community that we're a part of? To the Eagle River, to Jay Bear, to Anchorage, to Palmer, to Wasilla, and, and beyond those places where you guys come from? What would it look like to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to your family, just to be transparent and open? And again, it doesn't mean you're confessing to everybody around, but you're just living this life of confession, of, of receiving grace, of receiving God's grace, knowing that you are just not above anybody else around you. I want to end with this quote from Richard Foster. The discipline of confession brings an end to pretense. God is, calling into the ch- God is calling into being a church that can openly confess its frail humanity and know the forgiving and empowering grace of Christ. Honesty leads to confession. Confession leads to change. May God give grace to the church once again to recover the discipline of confession. What if that was us today? How powerful would that be for us first personally and then to our community? Church, let's strive to be a church that recovers the discipline of confession. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace. God, thank you that you are so full of grace. God, that, and thank you, God, that scripture does not hide the sins of its heroes. God, that a man who, who had an affair and, and who was a murderer and so much more, God, that yet you told him his sins were forgiven. He was upright in heart and to rejoice. And God, that's the same offer that you give us today. Jesus, I just pray for just the person in here who may have never received that grace before, may have never received the grace of Jesus. God, I pray that you would just be with them right now. Show them your loving grace. 
God, to help them to receive that right now, to open their heart, to confess first to you their guilt and their shame, God, and let them experience it being covered, maybe for the first time. And God, for those in this room who, who have received your grace before, and yet we continue to struggle with this sin, we, we, we relate to Paul when he says, that thing I want to do, I don't do, the thing I don't want to do, I do. God, we, we relate to that struggle, but God, we've we kind of become afraid to confess that because, well, we're Christians and Christians don't do these things. But God, I pray that we would find freedom in your grace today through the power of confession. God, help us as a church recover that discipline once again and let it change us, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.